Hey, Eastside, let's give it up for a beautiful day and the opportunity to be in the Father's house tonight. Man, it is good to see you. Welcome. It is so cool to see a lot of you here on site worshiping with us today. Thank you so much. A shout out to our, our overflow people. They make it available for us to do what we do in here. And so they sacrifice this experience to worship in a different experience. So thank you over at Overflow. They're watching us right now. And our online people, we say it every week, man, we're so happy to have you here. We seem to get a new story about our online uh, campus our online people, we get a new story every week. So this week, one of the things we heard was there was someone who used to live around here and they attended here at Eastside and they moved away and they're actually uh, roughing it down in Orlando, Florida. So if you're listening to me, we don't like you, but we're glad you're watching us. And so they got a buddy in the United Kingdom and so they got the buddy over in the United Kingdom uh, aware of our worship service. And so that guy in the United Kingdom is now watching our service and sharing it with his friends in the United Kingdom. And that is really cool, isn't it, okay? So um, whoever you are in the United Kingdom, man, welcome to you. And the coolest thing about that is that that guy has been connecting uh, with our, our online pastor here, uh, Donnie Rourke. And so he's been talking to him about Jesus. And the coolest thing about all that is that he contacts Donnie and doesn't remember it's a time change and they've had conversations at four o'clock in the morning, which I love waking him up like that. But man, it is good to see what God is doing in our ministry and I'm so happy you're here. I've got a great message. Not that I'm gonna do great with it, but the power of what God has to say in his word, the message that we're gonna relieve tonight is a great, great powerful message. And I wanna give a shout out to a lot of the young people that are here tonight. Got a lot of young people from you know mid-20s and down, and we're just really, really happy here. And I want you to, I want you to hear this before I get jump into this, if you're kinda of in that group. Whether you're you know, 30 years old or you're 13, I want you to hear this that if you listen tonight and you follow what God teaches tonight, 30, 40 years from now, you're gonna remember the night you were in this room. It'll change your entire existence. So let me kinda present it. Number of months ago, my wife and I took a, a quick trip up into our hometown area and we had some things to do up there and so uh, we got up in the morning and Susan had some things to deal with with her mama and, uh, and so I went and had breakfast at a little mom and pop shop all by myself, I love to do that and I'm sitting there just kind of reading the paper, drinking coffee and I look over and Coach John Eckel, the legend, walks in with his wife. And I remember back in my day when I was a young man that much of my DNA and a whole lot of who I am today was put in there and started, in my life anyway, by different coaches that somehow got into my life and, and coached me in a sport or two. And John Eckel was one of those guys. And I hadn't seen him for years. 
And so I went over to his table and he was having breakfast with his wife and he didn't have any idea in the world who I was. And so my hair is about six inches shorter than it was back then. And uh, it was probably about six shades uh, darker than it was back then. I graduated from high school and I weighed 120 pounds. This leg weighs 120 pounds today. And so Coach Eckle didn't know who I was and I introduced myself and he said, oh, Dave! And we just talked about each other and what's going on in our lives and laughed that we're getting old and things are changing. And he said, man, tell me something about you. What's going on with you? And so I talked to him about my family and my life and my profession. And he looked at me and he said, Dave, I am so, so happy for you. And I looked at him and I said, you don't understand something, coach. You don't understand something, man. And I wanted him to understand And I I sat down with him and I said, I want you to know, coach, that much of who I am today is the result of you letting me live in your kingdom. And he was kind of shocked by that. And he said, what do do you mean by that? And I said, here's what I mean by that. And I started rattling some of those things off to him. I said, now back in that day, in Coach Eccles' kingdom, You didn't show up at school around eight o'clock like everybody else. You showed up at six o'clock so you can get a work in for first class. And in Coach Echo's kingdom, you didn't go home at three o'clock like everybody else did. You stuck around for a meet or a game or practice and you got home maybe around six o'clock at night. In in Coach Echo's kingdom, you didn't stay up till midnight and watch television because after 12 hours of school, Get home, take a shower and dinner. Man, you are out of juice at about nine o'clock. That was your kingdom, Coach Eckle. In Coach Eckle's kingdom, you didn't go to the Friday night football game and just kind of walk around and hang out with your buddies and have a good time and go find the Friday party after. No, you didn't do that. If you went to the game, you sat on the bleachers with your team and you watched the game and then you got your tail home because you had an early morning practice or early morning game next day. That was Coach Eckle's kingdom. Coach Esselkin was an infusion of hard work and refusal to quit and anything it takes attitude. And the majority of people who lived in his kingdom are now people my age and older who for the most part have been successful and effective and God-fearing and made something in their life because they were allowed to live in his kingdom. Now here's why I say that. Because if you grab the Bible and you look at the biographies that are given to us about Jesus, there are four. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four guys who wrote about the life of Jesus. And if you ever read through them, you will be amazed at how many times they tell us that Jesus spoke about the kingdom of his father. In fact, I went back this week and looked at it, and in those four biographies, from the lips of Jesus, the kingdom of God is mentioned 121 times. That's one and a half chapters of every one of the biographies about Jesus. Jesus was talking about the kingdom of his Father. And so what is the kingdom of God? What is that about? 
There is an authority and a rule about the kingdom of God. Make sure that you understand that because in the kingdom of God, the word of God is the authority. That what God says will be the right thing for all of eternity, in all places, at all times. When he says that's right, it's right. When he says that's wrong, it's wrong. And any subjects in the kingdom are in agreement to that. There is a relationship in the kingdom because you see, the head of the kingdom loves the subjects and the subjects love the head of the kingdom. The people in the kingdom treat each other differently. We are kind and we're gracious and we're understanding and we're loving. There's something about the kingdom of God that is radically different from how most worlds end up being, most cultures end up. The kingdom of God is the rule of God with God's people running through the world. And when Jesus came to the earth, he said, I am here to establish the kingdom of God. Now I say all of that to say this. The purpose of the church the mission that you and I have as followers of Jesus, the thing that God wants us to be about, the thing that is most important to him in your life, watch this, is to protect and advance that kingdom in an evil world. That is our job. And I'm here tonight to share with you that it is the will of God for you. Don't miss this. The will of God that you would finance that effort. That you would put your resources behind the mission of protecting and advancing the kingdom of God in an evil world. That all fits into this series that we've been calling uh, Five Things Right Now. And we're in week four of it today. And man, it's been a lot of fun. And the general sense of it is we're all starting to get a little bit of hope in us, okay? Because we're starting to see maybe there's a light at the end of this tunnel of this pandemic. We're not there. We got a long way to go. It's still not safe everywhere. But man, we can see it. And so what we've challenged our church is that in this meantime, while we're getting ready for a new normal, whatever that's gonna be, whatever's gonna happen, there are five disciplines. Dude, you gotta get into your life and settle right now to take care of it this minute so that when we arrive at this moment, man, we are ready for God to explode in this culture, through our church, and through our life. But you gotta deal with these five things. And so we took those five things, we said, let's talk about them here at Eastside, and today we're in the fourth week, and we are serious about them. I wanna thank my brother, uh, Winston Dickerson, our student pastor, leads our Gen X ministry. I said, Winston, will you teach this with me? And so he's helped me in the teaching. He's done a radical job, because it takes some backbone to say some of the things that we've said. And man, it takes some backbone to hear it, and to do it as you've been doing. And I just want us to remember what those things are before I jump into the fourth one. So let me walk through them real quick so everybody gets on the same page. On the first week we talked about this, spending time with God every day. I loved how Winston opened that up because he described it as isolating yourself 
and then communicating in prayer before God speaking to him and listening to him in your word. And he said, if that's not a part of your daily life, you gotta settle that right now. I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. It is your spiritual oxygen that in order for effectiveness in your walk with God to be held on to and grow, you, you have got to have this a part of your life. The next week we said this, we want you to deal with this. We want you to start washing dirty feet. And we describe that as living a life where your focus is that you give greater value and greater attention to the needs of other people rather than your own needs and your own desires. What would happen if you lived that way at your house? That you went into the house not thinking about, well, what is he gonna do for me? What is she gonna do? But what can I do for everybody? What would happen at work and church and everywhere? We had a family who heard this message. They called us that week. They sent us an email here. They said, we watched your service uh, last Sunday. They said, we watched this whole thing about washing dirty feet. And that afternoon, we were gonna buy a lawnmower. We were gonna buy a riding mower from somebody out in the country somewhere. And so my husband got us all together. We got in the car, me and him and our kids, and we we're gonna go pick up this lawnmower. And, and the week that we dealt with that, was the weather was horrendous. And so they talk about this death-narrowing uh, trip to find this mower. And they find this house out in the middle of nowhere, and it's a trailer, and they buy this lawnmower from these people, and they told them the reason we're selling it is because we're really on hard times, and we don't have much money for food, and we're selling it to be able to, and this family said, really? And so whatever the price of the mower was, they threw a lot more money into it, paid way more than it was worth to be able to help that family. And so they load the mower up. They said they're coming back home. The weather's getting worse and worse and worse. It was that Sunday where you thought, man, are we even gonna live anymore? And they saw, they saw this little car in the ditch and they pulled over and they went down there and it was a single mom with a baby and her car was stuck. She couldn't get out. And they did all, he said, everybody get out of the car. And they helped them up out of the ditch. And the guy said to him, man, you gotta, you gotta get into a hotel. You're never gonna make it home. And for two hours, they went with them to find a hotel and they got them set up in a hotel. And then they got back there car to take their mower back home, and this lady wrote that our youngest child in the back said this, Mommy, we've been washing feet all day long. <laughs> what would happen if everybody did that? Then last week, Winston came in and hit a home run again as he talked to us after spending time with God and washing dirty feet. He's talked about saving the lost, and I don't know if this rocked your world, but I'm telling you, it rocked me. My wife and I were part of the online community that weekend and I listened to Winston preach and what struck me is where he used the part in the word where it said, we beg you, we beg you to get right with God. And he said he'd never seen that in the Bible, that the Bible has that word to beg people to get right with God. And I told him later, I said, man, I don't know that I've ever saw that. I, I, I've read it, but I never caught it, that what God said is we want you to find people who are lost and we want you to beg them to get right with God. 
I'm a big um, a college basketball fan. I love to watch it. And I was watching a game the other night, one of our local teams. Not going to tell you who it is because we'll mess with y'all and everything. But there was a, a, a camera shot that went to one of the coaches who felt like the ref should have called a foul against one of his players. And the camera went on this, and this coach was like this, and his veins were popping out, and he was saying, you got to give us that call. Have you ever done that with anybody and said, you got to get right with God? You got to get into church. You got to get baptized. Beg people to save the lost. And so, what we've been doing for a few weeks here is we've been talking about some radical things, some off the charts things, saying that we want to encourage you to deal with those, to get those in your life right now. No more excuses. Don't put them off anymore. Get those in your life right now. Today we jump into number four, and the intensity is just as high. Our challenge is that you would finance the kingdom, that you would use your resources and use those resources so that the kingdom of God can be protected and advanced in an evil world. And God has designed that his subjects finance it. And with the little bit of time we have left tonight, what I wanna do is I wanna show you in scripture how that happens and the challenge that God has put into our life. There's a lot of places in the Bible we can look at, the Bible talks about this often, but I wanna zero in on one sentence. I'm gonna show you one sentence in the Bible, that's all we're gonna talk about, and I wanna show you what it talks about financing the kingdom of God. So hang on and watch me with this. We're gonna start in the book of Proverbs, and there is a sentence, it's kind of broken into two halves. The first half is the ninth verse of chapter three, and the next half is the 10th, but let's look at it. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits, it's very important, with the first fruits of all your crops. And then he jumps into the second part of it. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now let me tell you something that I believe about the Bible. And if you ever wanna really understand the Bible, I've always believed this my whole life, is you take a portion of the Bible and say, can we make it simple? Can we kinda narrow it down to make it really, really simple so that anybody can understand that? And so I've taken that verse in both of halves and it really comes down to two things that I want you to take note of. And if you take note of these and understand them, then you're gonna know what this verse is about. Make sure you take note of the weight and take note of the mouth. And when you all jump in your cars here in a little bit, we start going home, uh, the thing is that I want you to remember the weight and the mouth of this text. Now let's start with weight first. I want you to take the idea of weight and I wanna go back to the first half of the verse, and I wanna show you where weight comes up. So in the first half of that verse, from verse nine, it says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And you'll see that I've highlighted the word honor, because what that word really means is weight. It means something that is heavy. 
And so when you honor something or when you honor someone, they carry weight to you. They are important. They are heavy in your life. And what the author here is saying by the name of Solomon, he's saying is make sure that part of your financial experience, part of the, the reality of your own resources you have in your life, make sure that the advancement of the kingdom of God, that that is a weighty responsibility in your financial picture. Now, if you think about it, you can start thinking that there's all kinds of different things that are kind of weighty when it comes to our own experience financially. There's all kinds of things that become weighty to us. Remember the first time you bought a home and you made those first two, three mortgage payments? You thought, man, those are a heavy weight in our finances. I can remember when diapers were heavy. Now, if you think about that literally, you go, I don't mean that, okay? What I mean, I remember as a young family, the expense of diapers, I, and it was a heavy expense for us. I tease our kids now that your mom and I never had a nickel. We never started making money until you learned to sit on the pot. So you did that, we got better. It was a heavy expense. Have you ever paid for college? Ever bought a new car? Ever had a child on the cheerleading squad or traveling ball team or gymnastic team? Man, those are heavy obligations. I was sitting down over dinner the other night with Susan and I, I said to her, we're having a conversation and I said, do you ever remember, ever remember when we were young talking about what we're talking about right now? Copays, deductibles, uh, cost of medicine. Anybody remember it when you're 20? No. As older you get, it becomes a heavy thing. And so what the author of this text says, he throws out this challenge. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to understand this. And we're asking you tonight to settle this in your life. And that is that you would make financing the kingdom of God to uphold, protect, and advance God's kingdom in the evil world, that that would be a heavy part of your financial experience. And he then goes on to say, here's how you do it. In the Old and New Testament, they called it the tithe. It was the first fruits of the tithe. Now you think, what in the world is all that about? And if you're a church person, you know tithe means 10%. So I brought something tonight that I'm gonna show you what it means. And I brought, um, I brought 10 $1 bills with me, okay? And I think you're gonna be able to see this up on the screen. And uh, so I want you to think of this as your income. And so think of them as $100 bills, okay? We, I just got $1 bill because we're low budget operation around here, okay? So I'm gonna lay these out. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. Now here's what the Bible says. God wants the people who are subjects in his kingdom to use 10% of their financial resources to advance, protect the kingdom of God. And so a lot of people, when they hear that, here's what they do. Okay, I'm gonna try to get everything done, all the weighty stuff I got going on, and this is gonna be God's. I hope that's still there when we get there, and this is gonna be God's, or maybe it ends up being a portion of God's, but that's my hope, I'm gonna take everything and it's gonna get. That is not what God said. That is not what he said. This 
is his. The first, the first fruit. And the plan of God is that people who are subjects in the kingdom would begin to understand that I have been called to finance the advancement, protection of the kingdom of God with the very first fruit of my income. Now, I was sharing with John Talbot, one of our pastors here today, that I'm one of the very, very lucky guys because I had somebody teach that to me before I was 20 years old. That's why I was so thrilled to see so many young people here tonight because when you're 20, and, and at that point, I, was, I think it was 18, it's a lot easier to start doing it then than it is if you had to do it right now at your life when I'm 60. And so I was lucky to be able to do that. But because I had somebody young, when I was young, teach that to me, and I could start it, I've never wavered in that in all of my life. And I want to show you kind of a template of how I do that. I'm going to kind of show you some bogus numbers. And if this is all new to you, this is going to be very, very helpful to you. And if it's not new to you and you know it, then you're going to understand everything I talk about. But I still operate on a budget. I am 60 years old, and my household still operates on a budget. I still do that. Probably don't have to, but I do that. And I believe that if you have a budget, you're going to be way much better at the end of the game. And so two weeks out of every year, because that's when my family receives income, I sit down and I work my budget, and I'm going to show you exactly what my budget looks like. I'm using bogus numbers, okay, but I want to show you that. At the very top of my budget, I have income. And so I have Dave's work, and so let's say every couple weeks I make 100 bucks. I'm a preacher, okay? Um, my wife works way better than I do, $200. I got a side hustle going on that you all don't know about. And on the weekend I play golf and I'm pretty good, and so I average about $5,000 every other week. Anybody, have I totally lost you now as far as integrity, okay? But let's say that's the case, and that means I've got $5,300 every two weeks to work with. That is the start of my budget, and every two weeks I look at that and I put these numbers in. And then the next area I have is called this, God's kingdom. This number right here is automatic. It's a formula that jumps in there from this number. So my tithe, the first fruit of advancing to God, is $530. That means I have $4,770 left to operate my household. And then my third section are all of my expenses, and they need to add up to $4,770. Now, if you've never seen anything like that, I understand that you might look at that and go, there is no way I could ever do that. I don't even know why I would do something like that. There, it just seems so radical and so far out there. I don't know how that would ever come about in my life. Well, let me answer it by saying to take note of the mouth. Do you, do you remember I said the simplicity of the text is to take note of the weight that we just looked at? That contributing 10% first fruit of your income to the advancement of the kingdom, that is a heavy, heavy weight. Why would anybody do that? Because of what he said about the mouth. That's why. 
And when you understand the mouth of the text, it'll be like, oh, now I get it. So let's look at the mouth. It comes up in the second part of the sentence that we've looked at. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So here's the text. Advance the kingdom of God, protect it in an evil world, use your resources in a heavy way to make that happen. Why would I do that? Because if you will, you will end up with more than you ever had. And you will find out that living on 90% is way more than living on 100%. But the word then is the key. Ancient languages are really screwy. And I don't know a lot of them, but I know some of them. And when you study ancient languages, hundreds and thousands of years ago, they had weird things happen in them. The ancient language of Hebrew writes this, and this word right there is not even a word. It is a letter. It's the 17th letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it is pronounced in Hebrew, peh. We spell it in English, P-E-H. So he said, honor the Lord with the first fruits of your, your wealth and all of your crops, peh. And peh is not even a word, it's just a letter, and it was used as punctuation, like a comma or a, a period or a semicolon, and they use letters like that, and you think, what in the world is about? Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, peh, comma, period, colon. Here's what it means, is that in Hebrew, their letters meant something. Ours don't. If I went to you and said, hey, what does the letter S mean? You go, I don't know, dude, because it doesn't mean anything. But in Hebrew, their letters meant something. And peh meant mouth. Don't lose me yet. Honor the Lord with the first fruits of your income, with all of your crops. Mouth. Think, what in the world is that about? And so in my study this week, I dove into that, man, trying to figure out what does that mean? What is he trying to say? And there are people who aren't sure. There are two possible views about it. One of those views is that the author is talking about his own mouth. And what he means by that is he says, honor the Lord with the first fruits of your income with all of your crops. Mouth. And what he means is, Pay attention to what is about to come out of my mouth. Pay attention to that. I have been um, made fun of on a number of occasions because in my preaching, I have grown accustomed when I want you to really hear something, I might say something like this. Catch this, catch this, make sure you catch this. And I say that all the time and people make fun of me about it all the time. When we left Illinois, we were in a, a beautiful church down there for seven years and loved that part of our life And before we moved down here into the South. And our last Sunday there, um, they had kind of an honor thing for us and they brought Susan and I up on stage and, 
and, and said nice things about us and gave us gifts. And at the end of it, the chairman of the elders came up and he had Susan going out into the audience and she sat in the front row and he put me right there and he put me like on a metal chair right there facing our congregation, about 250 people. And our chairman said, Dave, we got one more thing for you. And we do this in love to you. And he said, Dave, catch this. And everybody kind of laughed. And about 250 people there, and they all stood up, and they had their pockets full of ping pong balls, and they started throwing them at me. And I had like thousands of ping pong balls coming. Catch this, catch this. That could be what he's saying. Honor the Lord, make it a weighty thing that you use your resources to advance the kingdom of God. And catch this, because what I'm about to say, don't miss it. Now, some people think that's not what he means. Some people think what he means is he's not talking about his mouth, he's talking about God's mouth. And he's saying that mouth of God, upon your obedience to advance the kingdom of God, that the mouth of God, watch this, will speak favor and blessing into you. And, and so that what we see happening is that he says, honor the Lord. Make it a weighty thing in your life that you're advancing in God with your resources. And the mouth of God, the voice of God that is more powerful than anybody else's. He says, let there be light and sun shows up. He says, be still and the storm stops. He says, open your eyes and the blind see. He says, stand up and dance and the paralyzed walk. The power of the voice of God. And Solomon might be saying, honor the Lord, make it a weighty thing, the first fruits of all you got. Because the mouth of God will speak blessing into you. The mouth of God will speak favor into your life. The mouth of God will cause that to occur into your life. And so this week I sat and thought about that. What does it mean? Does peh refer to the mouth of Solomon or the mouth of God? I wonder if the answer is both. Honor the Lord. Make it a weighty thing, a weighty thing in your financial world. Make it a weighty thing and catch this, catch this. Don't miss this, catch this, catch this. That if you will, the voice and the audible mouth of God will breathe into existence, into your life, a favor that can be unequaled anywhere else. And you look at it and go, oh, so that's how I can do it because of the power of God's voice. Now, I want to give you one more I want to give you a Dave Hastings. And I need you to help me do this. Catch this. Catch this. Nobody's moving. Okay. What are you laughing at? Catch this. Catch this. Don't miss this. Catch this. I knew you had weak hands. Catch this. Catch this. Don't miss this. I wanted golf balls, they go farther. Catch this. Somebody catch this. All right? Don't miss this. Catch this. 
catch this, catch this, not even paying attention. Here's what I have found. Catch this. 60 years old and hundreds and hundreds of people that I've talked to about this, here's what I have found. That people who seem to always be struggling financially, I mean always, and there's some in this room like that, it's because they've never trusted the mouth of God. And why do some people just seem to be okay? They just seem to have a rainbow around them. Why? The difference is because they are people who trust the mouth of God. Catch that. Catch that. And it will change your life. Father, I thank you for the power of your word. And I'm just going to be honest, Lord, as I talk about it tonight, because this is a part of your word that is edgy. I mean, it's one thing to forgive somebody when they hurt me. It's another thing for that first dollar to be yours. And God, we are, we are consumed with that. We are. And I pray tonight that tonight is the beginning of seeing some of that being altered so that people can understand the favor that your voice calls upon people as they are obedient to you. And we'll give you the glory, and the kingdom of God will advance in an evil world. In Jesus' name, amen.